The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, it's Stephanie Hansen, and I'm here with the Makers of Minnesota podcast. If you've been listening to our podcast, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Um, You can always rate our podcast, too. That helps them be found by more people. Um, The podcast, if you're on Podcast One, you can rate us, also iTunes. And then if you have friends in the Twin Cities area, you can find us on the MyTalk 1071 website, under my shows and then you pull down the podcast area and there's not only this makers podcast but there are also some other podcasts for you to listen to as well we are at week 16 i believe of the makers podcast you can give us any feedback that you'd like on facebook uh, makers of minnesota or you can find us on twitter makers of mn and also instagram and we try to uh, take uh, shots of our local makers products And if you've got any feedback of people you'd like us to talk to, we would love to hear from you. It's always fun to interact with people. So today, our guests are Travis and Kiara Bolton, and they have a company called Bolton Bees. And you can find them at boltonbees.com. And I think I first heard about your bees um, from your participation in the Minnesota Cup, actually. And... I was like, oh, that's funny. Someone in the Minnesota Cup for Bees. Mm. So I went to the website and I started to check it out. And you guys are making bees, making hives, and making honey. And you're a married couple. Is that right? This yep. is the first time we've had two people on the podcast, too, besides myself. So mm, That's correct. Yep, that is correct. Uh, we really enjoyed being part of the Minnesota Cup. It was a great opportunity for us. and. I, you're not the first entrepreneurs that I've had on that just have said, like, A, it was a lot of work, yes. which it is, but B, what a good experience and how many people they got exposed to. You guys, were you winners or were you finalists this year? We were runners up in our division. Okay. And was your division the food division? Yep. Food, okay. egg, beverage. Excellent. So how did you find out about the Minnesota Cup or did they find you? Uh, we were uh, one of our... Um, friends posted it on uh, Facebook, and we found out, and like, hey, we can do this too. So we applied, and then just kind of went from there. Cool social media. So you guys are young. So how do you, like, I want to know your whole story here, all right? So how do you meet, get married, and decide that you're going to make bees? Uh, I should take this one. Well, so the order was a little bit different. Um, sure. So when I first started doing beekeeping, I was living in China okay. during that time. And I'd been living in China for a number of years, and one of my really good friends is a beekeeper, and she was given an opportunity to start a sustainable economic development project in a rural Yunnan village in China. Cool. And I could speak Chinese, and she couldn't at that time, and uh, asked me to join along with her. And I didn't know anything about bees, and so I was like, sure, I'll go live in the Himalayan plateau with you. Sure. And do bees and so so what I did and I learned about bees and like it's one of those things that once you 
kind of get interested in it, it takes over your whole life. And uh, and I did it, and like, the development project worked out great. She's, my friend's still there, married to a bitten man, and is still doing, you know, it's not, not a project anymore, it's like her life. Yeah. But for us, I came back here to Minnesota and wanted to continue to keep bees. It's now a passion that's like in my blood. I have to keep on doing it. And uh, my granddad said I could have bees on his land. Okay. So then I was like, great. So I had a couple hives there, and he got into beekeeping with me. And then Travis and I, eventually, we met, and then Travis got into bees just through osmosis. And and we went to Texas, and um, we with my friend's family, and uh, she, we did some um, queen breeding work there. And that's when Travis really got inundated with bees, and we started working for hives, and because we were working for hives, we came back to Minnesota, and with uh, the very first time, it was like 20 hives we came back with, and we learned how difficult it was to have our bees survive the winter. So let's back up a second. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of bees in Texas, and what people don't know necessarily, mm-hmm. and you're the experts here, but I know just enough to be dangerous, is that these hives typically travel around and go to places where they're needed to pollinate things like orange trees and almond trees. And so these hives are loaded up onto semis and moved around the country. And where we got into some trouble was we got into colony collapse disorder mm-hmm. where there was some question hives were dying and there was some question, are the bees overworked? Are they being killed by pesticides? And it sort of started the conversation, I feel like, maybe 15 years ago about, hey, what's going on with the bees? What is happening with the bees? And how important bees are to us? Help our listeners understand the importance of a bee. Yeah, I mean, so bees pollinate, what, what's the percentage of our, of the, uh, it's like 75% mm-hmm. of the fruits and vegetables that we eat. Um very important. Colony collapse disorder, I think it is largely, it is bees being overworked, but it's also having healthy resources for the bees, you know, in our backyard, in the, in the fields around our, around our towns. It's, um, it's farming practices, but it is, it, it is largely to do with, um, with bees being overworked. That's why I think part of our business, why it was so well received was that we're, we are non-migratory beekeepers, meaning that our bees stay in Minnesota the whole year round, just like our customers who are backyard beekeepers, their bees stay in their backyard the whole year round. You know, they're not breaking their hives in California. They right. want to have two or three hives. They want to maybe get a couple hundred pounds of honey and they want to give that away as gifts. And, um, and they've, those backyard beekeepers struggle year after year because the only source for hives to buy are from people that are part of this pollination route that just brings them from nectar flow to nectar flow the whole year round, and their hives never have to sustain this winter that we deal with up here. So you're in Texas, and you are seeing bee colonies, you're seeing the problem with the bees, but you're also from Minnesota, and you're thinking, hey, maybe we can do something here that will help us breed a Minnesota bee. Is that? So the the Texas thing happened because this girl that Kiara worked with in China, her family, they're migratory beekeepers from North Dakota who winter their bees in Texas and they are queen breeders. So that's what brought Kiara down there kind of for experience to see, because that's a, it's an opportunity to work with a lot of colonies in a short amount of time 
Whereas up here, you know, you, you have a few colonies in your backyard. You right. can learn a lot. If you go down to Texas or if you, you know, get on one of these bigger operations, you learn things very, very quickly. That's actually where we learned how to queen breed. And so it's a very specialized skill set to be able to graft queens. Tell me how it even happens. Do you, like, <laughs> stick? I'm just like, okay, I'm thinking about bull pollination and <laughs> cows and the sex parts. And I'm thinking, how would you do this with it's, a bee? It's only a little bit different. <laughs> so do you stick, like, a little something in there? No, and, it's actually a lot different. Uh, so what we do is, so all, this might be kind of technical, but all female bees start off the exact same way. And all bees in a colony, uh, most majority of them are female. There are some drones too, but and there's a male. But uh, what, they all start off the exact same way. An egg is laid. Yep. And then after three days, they turn into a larva. Okay. And so... Even a queen starts off that way. Sure. And so what we so what I do then is I take this grafting tool, which is kind of like a, you know, like some a like a dental tool. Yeah. And I very gently pick up that larva and place it down into another like a plastic cell because the bees then on the third day know what to feed if it's gonna be a queen or if it's gonna be a worker bee. Um, know to feed that bee, um, depending on the size of the cell it is in, and what the what that bee eats determines what'll be in the future. So Weird. I, yeah, How so, cool yeah. That so someone figured that out. So I pick up that larva super gently because if you're if you mess up, you know you, the whole thing is ruined. Yeah, and so you pick it up and gently transplant it into this other cell, and uh, they feed it royal jelly, a diet purely of royal jelly. And on the other hand, we also need to have a hive. That is, feels these basic survival instincts. They need to feel utterly queenless. They need to feel like they're on a major nectar flow. And we put this these uh, these queen cells into this hive, and they're just desperately eager to raise these queens for us at this point. So that's how we raise the cells. Okay. Um, but, the, I mean, that's just the technical part of it. But the real challenge is to select the hives that we're going to breed from. So we, you know, we overwinter hives or some hives that die and they're not in our gene pool then. And then the ones that survive are in our gene pool. But then we look for who has the highest honey yield. Who did we have to, you know, not feed as much sugar water to in the fall? Who did we... Who had a nicer temperament. Who had a nicer temperament? Who has a low mite load? Who didn't struggle with diseases or pests? And so we look for all these different characteristics that we then select for. Um, who's more hygienic, and uh, we breed from those hives in this manner, and then we put them into this queenless colony, and they raise these queen cells, which we then have to take out before they hatch, because if they were to hatch, like that one queen that would hatch first would go and kill all the rest of them. Right. So we have to take them out and put them on these other queenless hives, and that's pretty much yeah. how you do it. So when that queen emerges, she emerges as a virgin queen. <clears throat> so as a virgin, she then has to... We have to make sure that we pull her out of the cell builder in time. We put her into queenless colonies that we've created, you know, in our, in our other apiaries. That queen emerges as a virgin. She's not mated yet. She can't yep. lay eggs. And over the next five days, she'll she'll grow in the colony. She'll walk around. Then around day five to ten, sometimes longer, sometimes a little shorter, she'll go on her mating flights. And at that point, that's when she mates with the drones. So we can affect the half of the genetic material by breeding from queens that we like. Then to get the male genetic material, that's all open mating. So at that point, she goes out to mate with 10 to 20 She's drones. horny. She goes out. <laughs> she finds some other bees, exactly. man bees, and you don't yep. control the man bees. Right. So. right. But right. What's, what's interesting is that the drones, the man bees, they... 
they have only one purpose in life is to wait for that virgin queen to fly to fly by. I mean, before that, they're just kind of eating honey and sunbathing. But when that virgin flies by, the fastest one is able to mate with her. And she mates up to like 20 drones at a time um, for, for her life. But upon mating, that drone dies. Oh, so it's like that so is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> He's giving his all, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is all pretty fascinating. And as the, you're telling me all of this, here's what I'm thinking, because I'm weird. God, they must never get a vacation or a day off because it's so exacting and so time specific when you get yeah. these bees in their different phases of their lives. There is a perk to being non-migratory in that our hives essentially put to bed for the winter like they're okay. so, so, getting, so it's seasonal that you have for, to work like dogs in the yeah. season so to speak i mean we still have wax to process and honey to jar you know the whole winter and you know business, a lot business more ideas back. to plan but it is like yeah for our winter you know we're not carting our bees to california we're not you know we're here just hoping that we did everything right the whole season and that our hives survive so yeah. tell me about the day that the bees wake up and what that feels like to you after you've waited all winter, you've done your work, and you're mm. waiting for them. And how do you know they wake up? Do you hear them? Well, it's just, it's spring. It's when, you know, and you start hearing the snow melt off your roof a little bit. It's like, it's, it's go time. You just watch the temperatures. You know kind of what it takes for them to be able to go out on their... And so in the springtime, what they're most exciting, excited about is their cleansing flight. Because they don't go to the bathroom in the hive. So that when they when they have that first day when they can go fly, they're erupting out of the hive to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so we're so we're there and we're we see that you know and it's very exciting. You know, How do you, you I know, mean not to be weird, but do you see them like go poop or potty? Oh just, yeah, all yeah. Over the place. If they land on you, they're gonna poop on you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What is bee poop like? Like a speck? It's kind of like, yeah, kind of oh, like a speck. a speck. Yeah, huh. but it's okay. like one time I um, wore like a nice jacket out, and at the end of checking hives, my jacket was covered in these bee specks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but at that point, you're not really out of the woods yet. So in that first cleansing flight's like, okay, that's good. Um, but then, you know, as the season progresses, your trees start leafing out a little bit. Yep. You start thinking, okay, we're getting closer at that point in Minnesota, fortunately, there, you start seeing pollen come in, which is just a beautiful aspect of living in Minnesota is that you have these early pollen resources. They start feeling a little better. You know, it's like, okay, things are kind of coming in. Then um, when you see dandelions start to bloom, that's when you start, okay, the season is really, it's going to start yep. picking up here. You got you actually have significant nectar coming in. At that point, it's a, the season's on and it's exciting. And you have honey. Um, the name of your honey is Bolton Bees Honey. And you have different types of honey. I watched a cute little video on your website about you making the jars of honey. Honey takes on different flavor characteristics from different places the bees have been, the terroir, like a wine mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. water for sake. Mm-hmm. Um, did you Were you interested in the honey first, or is the honey just like, hey, we have these bees, we may as well make some honey? Well, honey, originally it was just an awesome byproduct with the bees. And then now it's turning into, you know, there's quite a demand for it. Yeah. So, you know, originally everything that we do, we do it 100%. So we're like, let's do honey. It's an awesome byproduct. So we made these great jars. Who's your graphic designer? Your graphics are beautiful. My good friend, Matt Gorey. Yeah, they're great. And your website's real cute too. Thank you. Yeah. Boltonbees.com. 
Okay, so sorry, you're making your honey. Yep, so we're making the honey, and uh, so now, I mean, part of what we're doing is we're expanding our honey operation, too, because there is such a demand for our location-specific honey that we have. And it, and it's true, each location, the honey tastes totally different from location even 30 miles away, just because the flowers are in bloom in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some honey that is kind of has a spicy aftertaste. Some of it's kind of a sweet forefront taste. And it's it's really, you know, you want to eat honey that's local to your area. And now this is, lo- min- all honey in Minnesota, if you're from Minnesota, is local to your area. But now you can get even more particular. Even more your, local. Even mm-hmm. more local. So let's talk about that for a second because I've been exposed to something I have a friend that had allergies, and someone told them, hey, you should eat this bee pollen because it exposes you to the antigens in the air Mm -hmm. that are causing you to have allergies, and you will have less allergies by eating this stuff. Mm -hmm. Would you Have you had experience with that or heard about that? You know, you you hear both sides of the coin on that one. I am a, a believer in that. I mean, it makes perfect sense. You take... You take in the things that you have an allergic reaction to in small doses, and over time, you kind of get over it. You build it. up a resistance. You build yep. up a resistance. Well, like, I have a younger sister who was given shots of what she's allergic to to grow her resistance. And essentially, this is the same idea. You're ingesting yes. the yeah. pollen that you're allergic to. So the key thing in that is that you can you can buy honey um, from your area all day long, but if they're not processing it right, you're not always going to get those pollens. I mean, I shouldn't say processing or right. We believe processing it right is pretty much almost doing little to no processing. It's pretty much right out of the comb. Yep. So we only do very coarse filtering. We let it, we just let our honey settle out. So you really get you get all that pollen in there. You, we don't we're not trying to micro filter it out. Yep. Um, it's interesting uh, that people are selling now. You know, bee pollen in their areas oh, yeah. and um, is that uh, you have honey in your line? Tell me about. So you have some different honeys here. You mentioned they're a little bit subtle. What's your best seller? Uh, it's kind of tough to say. I'd say one of the things that we do on our honeys is that we have a taste testing. And with that taste testing, um, people give us words to describe what each one tastes like, tastes well with and what they taste like. And one thing they say, like, oh, this one's really good in toast. This one's really you know, great with hard cheeses. And so which one I'd say is the best seller kind of depends on how you would use it, how you'd use right. it, just like how you'd use wine. Yep. You know, which one do you want to drink with fish? Which so one... give me one for toast and then give me one for cheese. So Granddad's is good on toast and Granddad's is from Washington County area. And that's our only honey right now that's from kind of closer to the metro area. Our other four honeys are from northern Minnesota. And actually, the granddad's honey, each of our honeys have a story on it. And, and that one tells the story of my granddad and his involvement with beekeeping and how it transformed his life. And that was interesting, too. So uh, I'm, in, I'm all over the place. Give me one that goes on cheese, and then I'll t- ask my next question. So our martini honey, which is from Sabika, Minnesota, which is a very small town in northern Minnesota. Um, there's a big Amish community up there. There's lots of organic farming. People are pretty much um, just have beef cattle and dairy cattle, so there's lots of alfalfa. Just a really healthy area for bees. But what we found when we were extracting all of our yard separately, this martini honey had a real distinct kind of spice to it. And then when we had our taste testing with all of our friends, everybody was like, "Oh, this would be good on hard cheeses." And then we started doing that, and it's just amazing. Okay, hard cheeses, yeah. So a good hard cheese honey, I like yeah. that. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed when I was on your website is that. You're selling these queens, right? And mm-hmm. you can also purchase hives from you. Yep. 
and you have like northern Minnesota bees. Like those are the badass, hardier <laughs> bees, right? Yeah, yeah. It's tougher up there. So where up there are you doing this? Like what part of the region would you be in up there? What's well, kind of a Park Rapids Park area. Rapids area. Okay. So I'd be kind of north central, I would say. Um, but yeah, it's around Park Rapids, Minnesota. It's kind of we're in Akeley, Minnesota, Sabika, Minnesota, Monaga, Minnesota. Is your small towns in northern Minnesota? And do you contract with people you know or you like, and they help you, or you go up? And how does that work? We put a lot of time on the road. It's just us. We manage all of our own colonies. So you lease land from someone, and you go and you do your it's, very exacting we, process. We've been and- able to. Um, have landowners come to us, um, and we love landowners when they come to us. Um, we're always looking for more places. People come to us, and they say, hey, we would love to have bees in our land. Do you want to have bees there? And we say, yeah. And in return, we give them honey. And this is a age-old landowner, sure. beekeeper trade that's been going on forever. So we give them you know, as much honey as they would ever want for that year, and then we get to put bees there. Yeah. Um, the obvious question, like, do you get stung? I mean, I've been around honeybees, and it's not been a problem for the most part, but mm-hmm. do you get stung? Yeah, I said that you got stung about 40 times yesterday. Yeah, I get stung a lot, but that was my fault. <laughs> I, uh... This time of year, bees are a little, they're not they're not super happy because it's warm enough for them to fly around, but there's no nectar sources because yep. at the end of the year, so they can be a little crabby, and I was... Putting in mouse guards, I think. Right? Yeah, it's putting in mouse guards, and I, I got stung. Mouse yet. guards? Yeah. Because do mice get into your... Oh, yeah. The, and the mice, they want, you know, someplace warm, and yeah. what's better than a nice warm beehive? They're not but... They're not vulnerable right now, per se, mm-hmm. but we put in the mouse guards now pretty much for, like, February, March. That's, that's so when a mice, the mice, mice will get... move in. Stung? No, they don't because the bees are asleep. The bees don't really sleep. They kind of cluster together and they they just kind of shiver and they keep it a constant about 85 degrees within the hive. And you can kind of, there's been experiments done monitoring the heat within the hive and it's warmer in the center and a little bit colder. And so they kind of rotate in and they expel um, um, water throughout the hive. And that's why you need lots of ventilation in your hive. Yeah. It's a, it's, um, there's many reasons um, of how you're able to overwinter your hive successfully. You need genetics, but you also need to be able to prepare your hive well. Yeah. But what happens is the cluster moves up as winter. So the cluster just moves up and consumes honey as the winter moves forward. As that cluster gets past that bottom box and it's cold, they won't break cluster when it's cold. They, their main mission is to keep maybe a tiny amount of brood, young emerging bees warm, and the queen warm. So a mouse could easily walk right in, go go on the bottom box, and the bees won't come down there and sting the mouse because they just have to focus on their cluster and staying warm. And it's toasty warm, those mice. We put mouse guards on to prevent them from doing that. And uh, I got stung a lot yesterday because... And I forgot smoker fuel, which is, you know, you need to smoke the hive, and I did yeah. it without doing that. Yeah. Foolish me, and I got stung. We, but, we work barehanded typically, and that's kind of what we feel like that's a, a good way for us to always be assessing temperament in hives. But we do get stung. I mean, it's part of beekeeping. And you got stung 40 times. Like, if I got stung by a bee 40 times, I'd have, like, a massive reaction, I would assume. You've probably been building up your resistance to the stinging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you, like, swell did you feel ill? Did you just like, oh, I got stung 40 times and got in your car and went home? It's kind of annoying, you know, but other than that, it's not, I don't, I don't swell anymore. Okay. Yeah. Cause some people like, I'm not allergic to bees, but it itches and it swells and it's just. Yeah. After I, we go through winter, which we're not getting stung, we get stung again in the springtime, I swell. 
it's you know right now really I've been, quickly you build up but I quickly build up resistance again huh. but it's but and then now at the end of summer I've been stung you know tons of yeah. times throughout the summer I don't nothing affects me so people are really excited about bees I was on your site like your bees are selling out like crazy mm-hmm. like yep. you don't even have any bees pretty much right <laughs> yeah we have to be careful you've got some queens coming next spring but mm-hmm. so you're this really sweet earnest married couple. Can you, or are you at all interested in, like, is this going to grow? Do you have to bring other people in and train them? Because it is such an exacting science, and you're relying on each other. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, like, do you want this to grow more than a certain amount, or are you comfortable that this is more of a lifestyle for you? I'm curious about that. It's kind of a mixture. We, I, we're wanting to grow as big as we can and try to keep it as small as we can at the same time. Uh, we are wanting to you know, hire more people on when we need to, but we want to kind of reach that limit first before we need to do that. Okay. Uh, and so, I mean, yeah, right now we're able to, pro- I'd say we're probably able to do double the amount that what we do this past year by ourselves. And after that point, probably we'll need to have more help. Yeah. So we try to walk a fine line to stay sane with how yeah. much we're working. Um, but we do have interest in growing, but we also do want to, stay local and stay a family business, you know. So in the winter, what do you do? Do you just not work? Do you like get a bartending job? What do you, what feels good to you? Like I, I'm also a licensed contractor. Okay. And I, uh, that's always I, handy. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I got a project that I found over the last, you know, little while. And I'm going to, I'm just going to do an addition on a friend's house yep. out in, we Cork, build Cork in Minnesota. We build equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we build equipment. Also... We bottle our honey. Yep. We process wax. We do things that we don't have time for in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you sell your wax? And when you say you process it, what are you processing it to do? Well, this is actually going to be the first year doing that. Uh, and our plan is to sell wax. Okay. Uh, we don't know. We haven't quite figured out how exactly. Maybe we'll do it in forms of candles. Maybe we'll just do it in raw rack, yes. raw wax for people. People put that on their cheese trays, and you kind of chew on it and yeah, mm-hmm. get that crystallized honey um, taste. Um, the what you're doing with the queens seems really unusual to me. Mm-hmm. That you're really breeding them not only for our region but literally our towns. Mm-hmm. Is that something that other people are doing in the United States, or is that unique to you? There are a few other people who are doing it, but not in the same scale as we are. And well, is in, that... in Minnesota, that is. Out mm-hmm. on the East Coast and, uh, you know, on the West Coast, there are some people that are really pushing breeding from survivor stock. They'll buy bees from your local area. They're selling nukes and selling queens. But in Minnesota, there right now, there's there's really not anybody else selling colonies that are bred from survivor stock in Minnesota. You can there are a few other queen breeders, but pretty much we're the only thing only company that's selling colonies. And can you stop the decimation of the bees by doing that? You can help. Yeah, I think you can help. I think buying local bees is a great place to start. Um besides buying local bees, other people 
The other, only other option is buying bees from migratory beekeepers, which we were talking about earlier. Right. And and those bees have to endure the stressors of pollination. The traveling the bees. The traveling. They're all sharing diseases and pests with each other. They're buying packages, which are, you know, random bees from random hives shooken together into like a ventilated box, given yeah. a random queen. And then, you know, given um, to a climate that they, you know, aren't genetically adapted to survive in. And I'm assuming when you were in China, nobody mm-hmm. was importing or driving bees around. No, no. But it, it was a totally different species of bees. There's Apis serrana, and here we have Apis mellifera. Yep. Um, but it's same like same idea of which... You know, local bees is what you need because if you have local bees here in Minnesota or even in northern part of the United States here, you are able to now be able to have, you know, bees that can survive your climate and bees that are sharing the same resistance to stress and mites and diseases and surrounding your area. So as a group, as a whole, you can grow resistance um, when you when you're getting outside bees coming in, and it's like you're growing resistance, and now this outside bee comes in, and you have to kind of readjust. Yeah, as you get an area to have more people that are buying local bees or trying to do it themselves in their own backyard, maybe mm-hmm. you know some people are are raising queens and they're w- within their own operation, but maybe they're not selling them, but they're doing it for themselves. And as you do that, you 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 have these colonies. That are doing well in your area, and you and those colonies have drones in those colonies. So then, when we have a queen that we just raised, and it's and it's going on its mating flight, and it, now it's mating with a, a higher d- higher yeah. you know percentage of of drones that have also already survived our Minnesota winters. It's just it helps everybody. But if you have drones, you know that are coming from all over the world, country, it's it just gets so education tough. could mm-hmm. help. You talking to people that are interested in bees and have Mm -hmm. hives could help proliferate more interest in specifically local bees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's all pretty interesting. Um, Let's talk about one other thing that makes me nervous as it pertains to the bees because I'm a flower grower. So I try to grow flowers that bees and butterflies like. Um, This whole Zika virus and Mm -hmm. uh, the mosquitoes are carrying this virus and they're killing the mosquitoes, and in doing so, they're inadvertently killing lots of yeah. bees. Scary. Yeah, and what is, I think, the most scary part about it is that these beekeepers don't really know when they're spraying. They just wake up one morning and their hives are dead. Yeah. Um, do you think that these individual localized bees may have some better resistance to some of these pesticides, or is it just no way? Well... The Zika virus, that there's stuff that they're spraying for that, I... It just nukes the hive, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I don't know, it would, maybe there'd be some super bee that could have resistance to that, but that's pretty harsh. It's a harsh well, and, chemical. And we, at this point, don't have Zika here because mm-hmm. it's been pro- primarily in the South, so maybe there'll be more reliance on these northern bees. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, is, like, so if we were to breed for resistance to the Zika spraying, what we would do is... You know, be in that area, and then they spray, and all of our bees die except for like five colonies. And then yep. from those five colonies, we then breed off of those in anticipation that they'll continue to spray. At this point, our bees up here haven't had to withstand that spraying. Right. Well, we have had our bees have to withstand 
other types of spring on other farm land around here. And we do see effects of some of our bees having and some of the bees not having effects. And so we try to breed from those that are not affected from, you know, soybean spring mm-hmm. or things like that. This is a really dumb question, but do you get sad? Like when you lose a hive that you've worked on, does it make you like sad? Is it like a pet dying or is it a little less anthropomorphized? It's sad. Yeah. You want to see all your colonies healthy and, and thriving. And when you see one that was doing well and it doesn't survive, yeah, it is sad. Like for instance, this year we had a, a new yard that we brought a bunch of bees in and we bred all these great queens from, you know, other hives and we put them into these into the hives at this new yard and then we came and they're doing great. We came back, you know, two weeks later and they're all doing horrible. And it's the reason why is because of pesticide spraying. Um, we there's you know, a there's a, a um, some sort of pest that gets in soybean fields, and there's a spraying that happens around in August. And uh, we never really encountered it too much before, but it was it was a really interesting thing that we found this year. But there, those hives are they're still they're kicking it right now. And I think they're I think they're getting better. Got to give a lot they're of looking, extra love. Yeah, we definitely had to really be attentive to those. Hives. So, will you use that same yard next year since they've already been exposed once? We're going to be very you know we're, we're going to try to find be, the the farmer and see if they're going to rotate the crop and try to get it in tune with uh, what their pesticide spraying schedule is. So that way, if they are if they're able to notify us, then we can take precautions against it. Sometimes your efforts are better spent in. Um, Rather than trying to breed resistance to some of these terrible chemicals out there, it's better to spend time, you know, maybe, you know, talking to the farmer or maybe, you know, talking, trying to go through policy and, and trying to get, you know, things passed that mm-hmm. make it harder for people to just spray willy nilly in their, in their, in their field. Right. Like they have to really abide by certain rules. They have to need, have the need to spray. That's a new thing. With this, I can't think of what it is, this uh, pest that's in the soybean fields that they spray mm-hmm. for in August. You get but, aphid. And, yeah, and, and the aphid that they, a lot of farmers, what we've been told is that they, they just spray regardless. You know, there's a chance it's there. They're just going to spray. They want to cover their, make sure that they don't have any losses. And I can understand why a farmer does that, but if they don't ha- actually have the need, it, it really does a lot of harm that isn't necessary. And they may know? not even know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. most farmers, they're growing food, right? They're trying to... I don't know. Yeah, they're trying to make ends meet and they're trying to do the right thing. So, you know, if we're in this whole ecosystem, I I feel bad sometimes for the farmers because they need to spray some things mm-hmm. because it's their livelihood. And yet, if it's killing other things, I mean, it just it's kind of a quagmire for sure. Yeah. What, what we have done this year is when we've seen mosquito control, although it's not Zika virus, there's still mosquito control around and we've notified them where our apiaries are. And when we ever see someone coming around doing their routine maintenance, we make sure that they're not spraying for adult mosquitoes, which what we have learned is almost, you know, no effect on the actual mosquito population. And you're spraying chemicals just right up into the air and it really is harmful to bees. But they've been pretty user-friendly. They've been very... um, conscious of where our bee yards are and they've been pretty good to work with so we've, good. Been, we've been pleased mm-hmm. with that all right well people can find your honey i know at the golden fig in st paul uh is there anywhere in minneapolis that they can find it grassroots gourmet oh grassroots gourmet Midtown, that's actually Midtown where i will market yep mm-hmm. all right uh thank you so much travis and kaya kaya kiara, kiara. sorry i knew i was going to do that um it's bolton bees you can find them at boltonbees.com and if we just recap here, Granddad's was the one for toast, and 
Martini. Martini was the one for the hard cheeses. Um, I really appreciate you guys being in here today. Thank it was super much. fun. Congratulations on your finalists and your qualification in the Minnesota Cup. That's a pretty amazing story. And I am going to just be anxiously watching your bees. Thank you. Thank you very much much for having us here.